2: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, folks, welcome once again
3: to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this show every weekend. Here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. Alan Dempsey does our engineering every weekend. Does it superbly, by the way. And uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. Ron Rhodes joins me. I'm looking forward to our visit. He's in Dallas, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. But I've come across his book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses, a friendly approach to sharing the truth about God in the Bible. Ron, it's really nice to visit with you, and I'm so glad we can hook up here.
4: Well, it's my pleasure, as always. Thank you so much for having me today.
3: Ron, explain to me the growth, I guess, of Jehovah's Witnesses. I I know I'm bumping into them a lot. Uh, Fill me in on that, first of all.
4: Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are growing not just in the United States exponentially, but worldwide. You know, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, uh, they have been growing at a rate of about 700 percent a year in Russia. Mm. And uh, for that reason, uh, I worked with the ministry there and made my uh, one of my books available without royalties, and they were able to publish uh, my book on Jehovah's Witnesses for pennies on the dollar, literally, and got it to every pastor uh, in the former Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, when you take money out of the picture, uh, God can do some pretty tremendous things. And so we were able to reach a lot of people there. But even in terms of the United States, I mean, they're publishing phenomenal amounts of literature. Uh, their first printing of one of their Watchtower books, for example, would be about five million copies. Hmm. That's way more than the first printing of my books. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, their they're magazines, they go out to more people than Time and U.S. News and uh, Newsweek combined. And so you can see that uh, they're, they're doing a real good marketing job, but unfortunately, they're marketing the wrong ideas. They're, they're marketing false doctrine.
3: What do they believe that's so different from us, Ron?
4: Well, you know, the dangerous thing is that they do sound Christian because they use a lot of the words that we use, like Jesus and God and salvation and resurrection and all of that, but they mean different things by those words. For example, when they talk about Jesus, they they believe that Jesus was created as the Archangel Michael, Mm. and uh, that eventually he became a man and nothing more. In other words, he was not God in human flesh, but was rather just a man when he was born on earth. And that's a lot different than the Jesus of the Bible. And likewise, when we read about the grace of God and salvation in the New Testament, you know, they talk about grace, but... Here's how they take that. They say that God is gracious in allowing you and me to earn our salvation by going door to door and handing out literature and, and doing all kinds of good works. That's their version of grace. So again, I mean, they sound Christian because of the words that they use, but that makes it especially dif- you know uh, dangerous primarily because they mean different things by the words that they use. And so I think that we really need to reach these people with the truth.
3: How did the Jehovah's Witness movement start? What was the beginning?
4: Well, it began with a man by the name of Charles Taze Russell, and uh, he attended a good church at first, but he started to dislike certain doctrines. For example, he didn't like the doctrine of hell, and he didn't like the doctrine of the Trinity. And so he founded some uh, Bible study groups and started to meet with a number of people. Uh, and as he met with people, uh, you know, they basically started to develop a theology that would deny the doctrine of hell and the d- doctrine of the Trinity, which would also necessarily mean devaluing Jesus Christ, because if you're going to deny the Trinity, you've got to do something with Jesus. You've got to make him less than God Almighty. And so they developed a theology like that, and before you knew it, uh, they were financing salesmen to go door-to-door Uh, you know, distributing literature published by the Watchtower Society, and they have grown exponentially ever since. And one of the ways they've grown is to constantly emphasize that the end is near, that Armageddon is right around the corner, and that the only people that will be saved will be people affiliated with the Watchtower Society. And so it's kind of a fear motive. I mean, if if you want to survive the coming apocalypse, you need to get in tight with the Watchtower right now. And uh, they've grown year by year by that methodology, and uh, they're continuing. And uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do is to help Christians on the doorstep, because uh, you can really be a missionary on the doorstep when they ring your doorbell. And uh, it's not enough for the pastors and the ministers to do the job. We need every Christian to be involved in the task.
3: So what do you do when a a doorbell rings, Ron, and you see a couple of nice-looking people there? First of all, you got to figure out whether they're Mormons or who they represent, but uh, if they're Jehovah's Witnesses, what do you do?
4: Well, you know, one good way to tell the difference between the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses is very often the Mormons will have on an elder badge, hmm. say, you know, Elder Mark or Elder John or something like that. And so if they have an elder badge on, they're probably Mormons. But uh, Jehovah's Witnesses go out two by two, and the reason they do that is that one of them is a trainer and one of them is a trainee. And so uh most of the talking will be done by the trainer. And what I like to do is to number one be real nice. You have to be nice because you know what? They're real nice to each other. You know, they think that they're the uh, the martyrs on earth with a lot of Christians, you know, treating them very meanly, but they they derive strength from that because they think they think they're the the persecuted martyrs of God, you know? But the truth is, is that it's not just what you say to the Jehovah's Witness, but it's how you say it. You have to say it kindly and respectfully with a nice smile on your face. And the approach I generally like to use is to ask questions. You know, Jesus asked over 200 questions in the New Testament. That's how he liked to make his points. Hmm. He would ask questions. And so I've kind of like uh, adopted Jesus's own method to reach Jehovah's Witnesses, and if you can ask good questions in a very respectful way, I guarantee you, you're going to make the Jehovah's Witness think an awful lot about what they've been taught.
3: So in other words, Ron, you've got to know what you're talking about to be effective. That's what you're saying.
4: Well, you you do, but you don't have to go to seminary to do that. You know, one of the reasons I put together my book is to help the average Christian who has had no formal training whatsoever to be able to answer the Jehovah's Witness. Now, Pat, can I tell you a secret? Sure. I've got a hold of all the Jehovah's Witness training materials. Mm. I know exactly what they're being taught in reaching people for the Watchtower Society. So what I've done is I've taken their own material, and I've taught Christians how to respond to the Jehovah's Witness material. So it's kind of like having, uh, you know, intel in advance. You know, we have intel in advance regarding what they're probably going to say on the doorstep. And what I like to do is just teach Christians how to respond. Now, Pat, it would be one thing if I just uh, taught you in a classroom context, but it would be even better if I trained you. It's kind of like uh, teaching somebody to fly. If you attend a classroom, you know, you can learn about aerodynamics and stuff like that, but that's not enough. You also have to go up in the air with a trained pilot, and you have to watch his every move and see how he does it up in the air. That's training. And so that's what I've tried to do with this new book. I've tried to make it so that I'm actually training Christians to respond. And I do that by enabling Christians to eavesdrop on my own conversations with Jehovah's Witness, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And every chapter's got, like, some conversations that uh, Christians can read and just see how you do it. And that makes it very easy.
3: Ron Rose is with us from dallas president of reasoning from the scriptures ministries he's heard regularly on nationwide radio is the author of the big book of bible answers and five-minute apologetics for today uh, a graduate of dallas theological seminary teaches there and at several other seminaries and his book is out conversations with jehovah's witnesses a friendly approach to sharing the truth about god in the bible we've got about 30 seconds ron uh, before the break. Are there uh, more Jehovah's Witnesses in certain parts of America than others?
4: Well, they're pretty widespread. You know, they actually build, uh, oh, a good uh, dozen or so uh, kingdom halls uh, each each week or so. And the way they do it is kind of like the Amish, you know, they uh, they erect it all up in one day. They get a bunch of volunteers, and they just build a whole kingdom hall in one day, and that's their version of a church. So they're actually spreading everywhere, and they've got the money to do it.
3: My guest is Ron Rhodes. Back with Ron here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando.
2: More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in.
5: You won't want to miss it. Are you ready to take your education to the next level? Arizona State University now offers over 90 top-tier degree programs, 100% online. With ASU's highly ranked online programs, you'll earn the same degree as our on-campus students with the ability to learn wherever you want, whenever you want. Same world-renowned faculty, same leading education, same global recognition from one of the top universities in the world. Call 1-800-581-5369. That's 1-800-581-5369. I'm Jamie from Sherman Oaks, and I just graduated with my degree from Arizona State University. I chose ASU because I received the quality education I deserve in the major I wanted, all from my home. Jamie's not the only one to earn a degree from ASU. There are over 90 degree programs offered 100% online from one of the top universities. Now's the time to learn more about earning your degree online from Arizona State University. Call 1-800-581-5369. That's 1-800-581-5369.
1: Hey, I'm Chris Brown, host of Chris Brown's True Stewardship, brought to you by Ramsey Solutions. As a husband and father, I know the stress of managing family finances, and as a pastor, I've seen how handling money poorly can tear apart lives. Well, imagine what life would be like if there were no car payments, student loans, or money fights. What if your finances could be worry-free? God has a lot to say about money. Tune in. Chris Brown's True Stewardship from Ramsey Solutions. Don't miss
0: it. Weekday afternoons at 2. Right after New Life live with steve arterburn the new 94.9 fm and am 950 wtln you're listening to the
2: pat williams power hour on the new 94.9 fm and am 950 wtln and now here's pat
3: ron rhodes is with us we're talking about his new book conversations with jehovah's witnesses ron what does the watchtower society mean what is that all about
4: Well, that's a great question. Uh, You know, the Watchtower Society, uh, like I mentioned er earlier, was founded by Charles Taze Russell. And what they believe is that the Watchtower Society is Jehovah's mouthpiece on earth. He's like a prophet, just like Jeremiah or Isaiah, only it's an organization. And what they're going to tell you is that all other Christian organizations and denominations and churches are deceptive, and they're also of the devil. And what they tell their own people is that people are not to do independent Bible study. You should never read the Bible by itself. Rather, what you need to do, they say, is to read the Bible with the literature published by the Watchtower Society. And if you read the Bible alone, without Watchtower literature, you will be led astray within a two-year period. And so uh, God's true followers, the Jehovah's Witnesses, are told that they must unquestioningly obey the watchtower, or they will suffer what they call disfellowshipping and shunning. And what that means, Pat, is that uh, they won't talk to you anymore, and even within the context of your own family, they'll say that you can still live with that person, but only insofar as necessary business takes place. You shouldn't fellowship with them. You shouldn't treat them kindly. And the goal of that disfellowshipping is to make them repent and turn back to submission to the Watchtower Society. So, uh, you know, Pat, that sounds cultic right there, doesn't it?
3: Oh, boy. So who writes for the Watchtower Society? Do we know the people?
4: Well, that's a great question. You know, uh, you don't know who does it. In fact, when you look at the books published by the Watchtower Society, there are no names. And they say that they do that in order to glorify Jehovah. They say that any author that has his name on the book is trying to glorify himself, and so they take their names off of it. And I must tell you that they also did that on their New World Translation, which is their Bible. Now, you know, most Bibles that you can get, you know something about the translation team. You know, you want to know that they're linguists, that they know something about the original languages. I mean, that's your desire, right? Uh, but the Jehovah's Witnesses didn't tell you anything about the, you know, who were the translators, and what was extremely embarrassing to the Watch Tower Society was when one of the former top members of the Jehovah's Witnesses defected and left the Jehovah's Witnesses and wrote a book, and he spilled the beans on the translators of the New World Translation, and not a one of them had any linguistic training. Oh, my, that's just a terrible thing to be revealed. But it, it just shows you the kind of deception that can go on in an organization like this.
3: Recently, a uh, Jehovah's Witness gave me a copy of a, of a Bible, a Jehovah's Witness Bible, I guess. What is in it uh, that's different from
4: our Bible? Well, this Bible, the New World Translation, uh, re-inserts the name Jehovah, all throughout the Old and the New Testaments. In fact, anywhere that they think is a reference to the Father, they insert the word Jehovah, even though there's no Greek or Hebrew manuscripts that allow for that. What they will say is that the New World Translation is the best translation in the world. All other translations are untrustworthy. And because Jehovah's Witnesses are the only people on earth to consistently use God's proper name, Jehovah, They alone are Jehovah's true followers. Now, in keeping with that, they also retranslate verses that make it look like Jesus is God. They don't want Jesus to look like God Almighty because they think that Jesus was a created being. They think Jesus is a lesser God. So when they translate verses about Jesus, they do it in such a way as to move you away from the idea that Jesus is absolute deity. So it's what you might call an extremely biased translation that was done to fit their own theology.
3: What is a Jehovah's Witness service like, a church service? When do they meet, and what, what, what happens? What goes on?
4: <clears throat> well, a lot of what goes on is that they will sing some hymns that mention the word Jehovah a lot. They will study the Scriptures, and a typical uh, lesson might be on Armageddon, or it might be on the Holy Spirit as a force of God. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Trinity, but is is the force of God. Or they might have a service that talks about what happens when you die. You know, that that might be the sermon topic, and they'll say that you're not conscious after the moment of death, and they'll say that uh, only God's true people will come back to life and become conscious again later on. Uh, And they'll also have training sessions where they train people in how to reach people on the doorstep. And I must tell you, Pat, that they train their people better than traditional Christian churches do. They make a very heavy emphasis of training people to be very effective on the doorstep. And so, again, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book. I've read their materials. I know what they're going to say on the doorstep. And this book is designed to help Christians turn the tables, as it were, with a very loving attitude— in order to tell them the truth about Jesus Christ.
3: Do they have ministers in their churches?
4: They don't have any formal ministers. They do have elders, and the elders are in charge of the church services. Uh, They don't have paid clergy, and they would tell you that paid clergy would be uh, something of the devil. So when you look at the traditional churches that we have, whether they're Baptist or Presbyterian or uh, whatever— if they have a paid clergy, then that's something that they're just doing to get money from, you know, uh, they're, they're trying to fleece God's flock, as it were. So they've really twisted that in, in such a way as to make it look really bad on the part of other churches. And like I say, they have elders, and sometimes I must tell you that, uh, that elders will sometimes show up on your doorstep if, perchance, your former meeting with Jehovah's Witnesses was such that you made some really good points to them and they didn't know how to answer you. You see, they might bring an elder back next time. Not to worry, though, because the material in my book will help you to actually carry on discussions with their elders as well. And so uh, no Christian has to be fearful in confronting a Jehovah's Witness. And can I make one point, Pat? Please. God's job is the job of converting. Your job is to simply be a witness. You know, uh, I, I don't have the power to convert anybody, but God does. So what I want to do is just be a faithful witness. That's my task. I want to be faithful at that task, and then I leave the results with God. And so Christians, don't be fearful of uh, witnessing Jehovah's Witnesses. God is the one who converts. You as a Christian simply be involved in the witnessing process.
3: Who was Nathan Knorr?
4: Uh, Nathan Knorr was another one of the uh, leaders of the Watchtower Society, uh, he took over after Judge Rutherford died. Now Judge Rutherford had taken over after Charles Taze Russell died, and uh, Nathan Nor was actually a businessman, and he was a good administrator. And uh, you know, he was uh, the kind of person who really organized the Watchtower much better than it had previously been managed. He also came up uh, with a different way of training people uh, to witness on the doorstep. You see, previously, the Jehovah's Witnesses used to take a phonograph around when they're witnessing, and when they rang the doorbell and you opened up the door, they would play this record of a sermon from Judge Rutherford. Well, Nathan Knorr didn't like that, so when he took over, he got rid of that and decided to, to, uh, to train Jehovah's Witnesses to go out two by two in order to witness. And I must tell you that he was responsible for uh, developing the New World Translation which was their uh, their bogus translation of the Scriptures. So Nathan Noor had a pretty big impact on the Jehovah's
6: Witnesses.
3: Um, let me get this clear. Uh, the, the naming of this faith, Jehovah's Witnesses, who came up with that, and, and what was it to
4: mean? Well, they actually took a verse out of the book of Isaiah where the Jewish people were called the Witnesses of Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is one of God's names. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they did was they took this verse that really referred to Israel, and they adapted it for themselves, and they actually say that Isaiah was prophesying the Watchtower Society and Jehovah's Witnesses. And they'll also tell you that there's other verses in the Bible that, uh, that support this idea of a Watchtower Society, you know, um, I'm, I'm thinking about a couple of verses here. You might remember the uh, Ethiopian uh, yes. man who needed to understand the Scriptures, you know, and they say that that proves that Christians need help to understand Scriptures, and therefore that verse proves you need the to Watchtower Society. That's kind of twisted thinking, but that's the kind of argument they'll give you.
3: Where is the Watchtower Society headquarters? Where
4: is it a, in a building somewhere? Where? Yeah, it's, in, uh, it's in New York, uh, the Brooklyn area. Really? And, uh, you know, it, it's a huge, huge building. You can't miss it. It's got this big sign right on the front of it that says Watchtower. That's where all the administration takes place. Uh, they've got a massive printing press. Mm. In fact, they put out more Bibles per month. That's three million Bibles per month. Than all the major publishers in evangelical Christianity. I'm talking about Zondervan and Baker and all your other big publishers. Mm. None of them come close to the number of Bibles being produced by the Watchtower Society.
3: And, then they, and that's what they give away at Door to Door primarily?
4: They give away that, and they'll also give away free books and booklets. You know, the, for example, one of their most popular books has been The Truth That Leads to Eternal Life. I think that's uh, something like uh, 55 million copies or something like that. Now that's bigger than any of your number one bestseller New York Times, uh, you know, authors. And so uh, you can see from that that uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses' primary method of reaching people in the world is through their literature outreach, and it's not just in English. They're in almost every language of the world. Mm. And so again, this is not just a problem in our country, but it's actually a global problem.
3: How hard is it to get a Jehovah's Witness out of that into mainstream Christianity?
4: Well, it's uh, happening every single day, and that's the thing that really gives me a lot of hope. What you want to do is to not just ask questions that make them think about what they've been taught, but you want to be nice enough that they're going to want to come back again. And as you continue to ask questions, their system of theology will slowly erode, and there will be a number of them that will turn to the Lord. Now, I must tell you that not all of them will turn to the Lord. They won't. Mm-hmm. but there will be a good number that will. And again, God calls you and I as Christians to be faithful witnesses. It's his job to do the converting. But enable to, to, to enable Christians to be effective witnesses, we do need a little bit of help, and that help I provided in full uh, in this small book that I've written.
3: Ron, explain <coughs> their uh, position Uh, What was it, 1935 was the year when 144 had already been saved and no more can be saved, something like that I read that you wrote. Uh, Am I saying that halfway correctly?
4: Uh, Yes, you're talking about the available slots for the 144,000. There you go. go. And that was allegedly filled up, you know, back in 1935. And this kind of uh, illustrates the fact that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses leave in two groups of saved people. Now, the 144,000, that's referring to the anointed class. That's sort of the elite. And all the other Jehovah's Witnesses are members of the earthly class or the earthly sheep. And so what that means, practically speaking, is that since 1935, your only hope is to become a member of the other sheep, the earthly sheep that Jesus referred to allegedly in John chapter 10. Now, of course, uh, you and I know that there's no justification in the Bible for separating God's people into two groups of people. In fact, when you look at the context of John 10, it says that all of us as Christians will be together in one flock under one shepherd. You know, if they looked at it in context, they'd see it very clearly.
3: What are we to uh, take from our discussion here, Ron?
4: Well, what we're to take from this, I think, is that you and I are challenged by God himself to be faithful witnesses. When a, door, when a doorbell rings, Jehovah's Witnesses are there. I think that we need to consider that to be a kingdom assignment. And as 1 Peter three fifteen and 16 puts it, we are always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect again pat it's not just what you say it's how you say it as well
3: let me encourage you to get this book folks it's uh, an important read <clears throat> conversations with jehovah's witnesses a friendly approach to sharing the truth about god in the bible the author is ron rhodes who has been our guest here in this uh, half hour on the pat Williams saturday power hour the new 94.9 fm and am 950 wtln Ron, a million thanks. You've uh, you've really helped us here.
4: Well, thank you so much. It's always a delight to chat with you.
3: We'll be back, folks, right after this. We've got more, so uh, stick with us. Uh, I'm your host, Pat Williams. We do this show every weekend on WTLN and the new 94.9 FM.
2: More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950.
1: WTLN. if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much.
0: For your free quote, call 1-800-509-1667. That's
1: 1-800-509-1667. 1-800-509-1667. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors now available in all states.
5: If you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. That's right, call. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available. So don't wait. Call right now for the lowest travel prices anywhere and for great last-minute travel deals too. Call right now. 800-648-9175. 800-648-9175. That's 800-648-9175. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new
2: 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat.
3: Ron Rhodes, our guest in that first half hour at his book, Conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Rick Whitted is with us. He's got a new book out with Ravel. It's called Outgrow Your Space at Work, How to Thrive at Work and Build a Successful Career. Uh, Rick, I'm delighted we can visit, and uh, you're right here in Orlando. That makes it even better. How are you doing?
6: I'm doing well, Pat. Little little cold for us Orlando. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. We don't know how to deal with this.
6: Well, we, we won't tell the Northerners how cold it really yeah. is. Yeah. They, might, they might say we're blaspheming or something.
3: Uh, there you go. So outgrow. <laughs> grow your space at work. I um, I need you to explain that title, Rick.
6: Yeah, you know, uh, in the first uh, introduction, I talk about a, a young man that changed my career about midway through my working life. It's about 22, 23 years at this point. And I was a young manager and he came up to me, was a top performer on the team and said, you know, boss, I've done all I can do in this role. I've learned everything there is to learn. How do I get promoted? And uh, without thinking, my response to him was, well, you, you don't get promoted. You you outgrow your space. You you do your so- job in such a big way. You make your current job bigger, so to speak. Uh, and you, you run out of room where you are. And, you know, those around you realize that. And we find a, a bigger space to put you in. So the concept of the book is you don't get promoted. You really outgrow your space and a lasting career. And I talked to a lot of people, very successful, long term, 20, 30, 40 years into their career. And when they recount their career path, what you figure out quickly is that it wasn't a succession of promotions. It was a journey of growth, and they just outgrew where they were really trying to bring that truth back to uh, the people that are in the workplace today.
3: Chapter one says uh, the career question <clears throat> no one asks. Uh, fill us in on that one, Rick.
6: Yeah, you know, I as I started writing this book, and it's about three years in the, in the writing, uh, I just began to ask people around me. And uh, so within a few years, it may have been even hundreds of folks where I just said, so tell me, why is a promotion important to you? And, you know, I, I, I manage groups of folks, uh, and I would ask them as well. And at the end of the day, I, I got a list of status and or stuff. Uh, but when I would dig deeper and go, well, why is the status or the stuff so important? In other words, why is, you know, this is going to allow me to get a bigger role in the future, or this is going to pay me more money? I would just dig deeper and go, but why is that so important to you? And what was interesting is that uh, I would say 99% of the individuals did not know how to answer the question. And what we find out is uh, the statistics tell us, Bureau of Labor Statistics says that we spend roughly 8.8, almost nine hours at work or work-related activities. The next closest thing is sleep at just under eight hours. When you strip away sleep, and I talk about this in Chapter 1 what you see is that we spend about 55 to 60% of our awake hours, and that's the average adult, So that doesn't include your entrepreneurs or those who are working weekend jobs to make ends meet, but we spend roughly 60% of our awake hours doing life on the stage of work. And so unconsciously we begin to use work to answer other very important life questions like, is my life moving forward? Now, what we're saying is, is my career progressing? Am I being promoted? And what we really tend to mean is, is my life moving por- moving forward? And Pat, that's why when you first meet somebody within 10 minutes of that conversation, if not sooner, one of the first questions that get addressed is, so tell me, what do you do? And what we're really doing is using the, the workplace and the progression of our, our, our careers to measure the progression of our life.
3: Rick Witted is uh, in Orlando. He's our guest. Uh, the, the book is called "Outgrow Your Space at Work." <clears throat> Here's the second topic, Rick. <clears throat> How do you define promotion? Mm.
6: Yeah, this is a this is a big one, and I'll just from personal experience as as well as the many uh, uh, scenarios and, and individuals, uh, composite individuals I talk about in the chapter. Uh, most people, when they look to make a career decision, it is typically in nature, um, and it is typically based on what has or hasn't happened over the past couple of years. Those tend to be emotional career decisions. And in Outgrow Your Space, what I try to get the reader to do is step back and evaluate what are your core values? What means the most to you? Uh, and, you know, it's tough. It can be really be, t- be tough because our, our, our careers are much more emotional than we think. But I challenge the reader, base your career decisions on your core value. If your core value, for example, has to do with the relationships around you, then those are the indicators you should be looking for as you make long-term career decisions, not pay. Uh, and so that chapter is really about understanding how you personally define promotion, and taking away from the the business America speak, which says a promotion is a bigger job or a bigger paycheck, taking over that conversation and saying, well, no, not necessarily. A promotion for me may be the idea of having work-life balance and or being able to be valued at the place I work or trust the people I work for. And understanding how you define promotion will really begin to control the temperature gauge of you emotionally when you think about your career and the progression or lack thereof of that career. So that's what that that really is about.
3: Tell me about the four P's of promotion, if you would, Rick.
6: most excited about that, Pat, and I'll tell you why. So... The book is not just a read, it's an experience. Each chapter, there is a summary video that I really encourage the reader, before you read that chapter, go watch that video. It's typically less than two minutes. And it's like having me, the author, right on your shoulder as you're going through the book. And in this chapter, I've built a tool at careerwitt.com, career, W-H-I-T-T dot com. The book will guide you there when you get to that point. And it is an assessment that really helps you figure out what I just talked about. Uh, And I call these the four P's of promotion, one's position. And what that means is a promotion for me means I got a bigger job, or it may mean I expanded in my current roles. And that is a true core value for some folks. The second is pay. That one's simple. Pay me. I'll do what you need me to do, but pay me for the work I do. And I don't feel my career is progressing if you're not paying me. The third is what I call personal security, and it has more to do with the internal relationships. Am I valued at work? Do I trust the people that I work with? Can my boss develop me and grow me? Is there mentorship in this organization? And and the idea uh, of that is personal security. The fourth is what I call personal satisfaction, and it can have two meanings. One is, is there meaning in the work that I do? This is something that, that the workplace should really take a heavy look at because 71% of our millennials say meaning is one of the most important things to them as they make career decision and in their career progression. The other side of personal satisfaction is work-life balance. And so one of them will be a core value, and I would argue that your primary and even your secondary are values that you should really use to shape the career decisions you make. One, most people don't know what their core value is. They know it instinctively when they take this test and it tells them that. I haven't found anyone that's surprised yet. And then secondly, um, although they know it instinctively, when they're making career decisions, often they're shaping those either emotionally by a a different core value, which the test will tell you, or they're basing that on this paradigm that the workplace, the business America has created, which says – well, you're not really progressing if you don't have a bigger paycheck or a bigger job. And you're really awesome if you've got both. Uh, and so the idea of this chapter is really helping you figure out what your P is. And uh, the assessment tool that goes along with the book will really help you identify that.
3: Rick, Rick Winnett is with us. Outgrow your space at work. That's the name of his book. Uh, now, uh, this topic, Rick, different definitions, but the same work required. What does this, that? What does that mean?
6: Yeah, this is where so many go off the rail, because even if you know all of that, and I would argue this is the first part of the book, most people don't. And so we've kind of chased the idea of our career blindly without really knowing why we want it and what promotion or career progression means to us. In this chapter, it's real simple. It doesn't matter what your definition is. If you want more pay, if you want a bigger position if you want more trust and um, to be valued more and be viewed as a key player on the team and be mentored by someone at work, or if you want, you know, you want more balance to the work you do, you want more flexibility, being able to control your schedule. Even if you want any of those core values, you have to work. No one gives you any of that stuff free. You've got to work really hard for it. And this, in this chapter, there's a subtitle that I, I call a, A three-year, a a thirty-year decision based on a three-year plan, and what I mean by that is, so many people will look at the short term and say, "Hey, you know, my career's not going anywhere," and it's three years of a work life that includes about four decades. We, on average, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics say we start working somewhere between eighteen and twenty-one, and And the most recent surveys say that those near retirement today are saying, I'll retire around 66. That is a 45-year journey. And most of us, when we're making our decisions, we are making those decisions on what has or hasn't happened over the past three or five years. When you think about it, Pat, that's that's barely 10% of your work life. And I I would argue uh, we should consider managing our career, much, you know, along the idea of managing a retirement fund that, you know, has to last for a number of years. So, you know, man, it make career decisions more long-term than short-term. And and that chapter is about regardless of which which value is important to you, you have got to work hard. Can't get away from working hard in the workplace.
3: (laughs) Rick, we now move to nine steps to outgrowing your space at work. And we're going to focus on them. First of all, Step one, you say, be willing to start at the bottom. Uh, Fill us in, please.
6: Yeah. You know, I I use a a strong truth there. It's found in Zechariah 410. Don't despise small beginnings. Uh, And if you were to break the nine steps down, this is how they break out. Attitude, attitude, attitude. The first few are attitude about your current job. And this is where most people go off the rails. Second is attitude around the people that you work with, the relationships around you. And the third is attitude toward the company itself. And in the first step of being willing to start at the bottom, it's really about being humble. It's about having the attitude that says, you know, I'll do what I need to do to grow. I'll do what I need to do to learn. The key point to that, the sticking point is, and I'll be patient enough to develop and grow into that. And most people that struggle in their career or job hop in their career quite a bit, they end up doing so because they get lost at this very first step. They have a preset notion of when the next thing should happen, how long it should happen. And, and I'll be honest with you, Pat, You know, when we all hear that, most of us are thinking millennials, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics tell us that boomers on average have had 11.4 jobs in their working career. So on average, they have switched job every four years as well. It is just a problem that I think is prevalent in our culture. We're a fast culture. We won it yesterday, and the idea of growing where you're planted is is a bit passe in our culture, and, and the book really challenges that. So this is about being humble, being willing to learn at the bottom.
3: Step two, master the basics.
6: Yeah, still about the attitude towards your current job. You know, even if you, you – um, if you're, you're, you're at the bottom and you're starting, the point to it is to become so good at the work you do that it looks like an art form. And now it, it, it's, it marvels me when I talk to top performers or high producers and I say, wow, how are you doing that? They're just reciting A, B, and C. Um, but they've gotten so good at it. They've figured out how to do it better, cheaper, faster, uh, more efficiently. Uh, they figured out how to do those basics because they've mastered that, that it looks like an art form. And I will tell you that there is no business, large or small, that aren't looking for people that have, that can master the basics, that can find efficiencies uh, within that workplace. And- Our guest
3: is Rick Whitted. We're back with Rick uh, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950
2: WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on the new ninety-four.
1: Hi, Bill Files here, GM of Salem Media Group, Orlando. You've heard me talk about half-price tuition, a great new program we have where folks just like you can purchase tuition to the finest Christian schools in Central Florida at half price. No catch, no kidding. I want to share with you some comments from a listener who recently purchased tuition for her daughter. This listener called me, and once she found out that the program was for real, she and her husband decided to buy it. She said, before we hang up, I wanted to thank you and to share with you that my husband and I have been praying for a way to send our girl to Christian school. Your half-price tuition program has made that possible. Thank you. This is what it's all about. If you or someone you know could benefit from our half-price tuition program, I hope you'll give me a call, 407-618-1760, or visit our website, AmazingRadioDeals.com. Half-price tuition, another positive idea from Salem Media Group Orlando. Schools like the Geneva School and Altamont Christian School are available right now. Go online to
0: AmazingRadioDeals.com.
5: Treasures and pages of scoundrels and sages Get lost in the story of heartache to glory Browse and discover, cover to cover Worlds of excitement, hours of delight Just bring your curious mind and see what you'll
0: find Bright light books, discover your story
2: You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat.
3: Rick Quitted is with us right here in Orlando. His book is called Outgrow Your Space at Work. Rick, the next topic is step three in outgrowing your space at work. Be an empowered entrepreneur, you
6: write. Yeah, the workplace looking for intra. People who will think outside of the box and bring outside of the box thinking in the box, not people that will break out of the box or, or you know, surfing on monster.com to get out of the box. And those people that will tend to have a long-lasting career where they are at success in their career are those that can really be entrepreneurial in their thinking. Uh, And and I've had the privilege, um, as I've worked through the years, With a couple of organizations to be able to bring insight uh, and entrepreneurial edges to the work process that I do, and that's what this chapter is about.
3: Now we move to step number four. You can
6: go up sideways. What does that mean? Mm. This is uh, this is a big one. So even if you're willing to start at the bottom, master the basics, you're thinking entrepreneurial. If you're not willing to move up sideways. Uh, and in other words, take a lateral move, or even if it's learning something different, having to take a back step to move over to go up in a different direction. If you're not willing to do that, you're really going to limit your ability to succeed in your career. Uh, you know, the workplace is really trying to build efficiencies. So there are less bigger jobs, you know, on the on the ladder. And it's really not a ladder. It's more of a pyramid. Ten bricks, nine, eight, seven, six, all the way to one. There are just few brick, fewer bricks at the top. And sometimes it's about mastering other skills so that you have a broader view of the business or the organization or the processes that you're part of in your workplace. That's what that chapter is about.
3: Now, the fifth step I want you to teach us about, have a team attitude, you say.
6: Oh, this is big. Uh, having a servant's heart, I, I, in this chapter, I talk about being a you-first or a me-first kind of person. For a me-first kind of person, it's all about me, and you know those people. And the moment I said that, that you had, you know, faces come to your mind and, and your listeners as well. And what I challenge you, if you really want to stand out and be different in, in the workplace, be a you-first kind of person, let your success be about how many people can you help be taller by standing on your back to make the, the job, the team better? Uh, and if you're the kind of person that people walk away from uh, being better at what they do or feeling better about what they do, um, then then that makes you a you first person, and that's what this chapter is about. It's a very important step in your career, long term.
3: Now let's get to the sixth step, finding and keeping a good mentor, you tell us.
6: Yeah, I liken a mentor to a mirror, right? And a mirror is pretty honest. It is going to tell you exactly what you are, flaws, success, strengths. It's going to show you. And a really good mirror, a really good mentor like a mirror is going to tell you about you. They're going to look at you and say, Rick, I understand. I totally agree on how you're feeling about that. But here's where you went wrong. Here's what you can do better. Uh, and, and, and a good mentor has a couple things. One, they have integrity and they have ethics, and that is so important long term. And I think, two, they're very sure. with you and truthful with you. And, and, and the truth of the matter is when we think about our personal relationships, Pat, uh, people that love you the most are the ones that tell you the most truth. And uh, so I get into that in this chapter. That That's talking about how you identify a mentor. Then I talk about how do you keep one. You know, and I give you some steps on, you know, what to do if you're meeting with one. The most important step is knowing how I start that chapter off with a quote quote from John C. Crosby, one of my favorite career quotes. And it says, a a, a mentor is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a shove in the right direction. And so the truth is the, the responsibility of the mentor relationship is on the mentee, not the mentor. The mentor's responsibility is to be accessible and available, and most people miss that, and they don't reach out and try to access uh, those mentors that can really help them long-term navigate some things uh, that they can avoid or take advantage of.
3: Step seven, Rick, the right relationship with your boss. That's a, that's an
6: important one, I'm sure. Oh, man, it is amazing. There's a I talk about it in the book. There's a lot of end notes and research in the book. I looked at a survey that said less than 10% of the people in the workplace get any career advice from their manager, uh, and that just blows my mind. You know, every every person I've worked for, I've asked for a couple of key things. One was, would you mentor me? Would you tell me the truth that you would tell your own son or daughter? And, um, be willing to be real, real honest with me about where I need improvements. Uh, I'm not so much concerned about what I'm doing well. I, you know, I want you to be honest with me about what I need to improve. And, uh, and, and I think in this uh, particular area, we can really grow if we engage our boss. A lot of time we have pre most of the time, I would say we have assumptions and um, uh, predispositions about what a manager is or isn't what they think or what they don't think. And most of that is not determined by having a conversation with them, but a translation of what we saw or what we heard. And as a result, we don't engage our managers as often as we do. And those that do, by the way, they get labeled, uh, you know, bosses, pet, et cetera. But it, it really is about developing relationship. And if you're going to have any success in your future, and if you're going to have growth in your career, you cannot avoid having the right relationship with your manager, which begins with engagement. You've got to engage them.
3: Now I want you to talk about step number eight. Engagement equals loyalty.
6: This is the big elephant in the workplace. So the stat is, and it's mind-boggling, but two and a half million people quit their job every month, Mm. every month. And that statistic has been consistent for nearly two decades, as long as we have been tracking the job report, uh, which uh, measures separations, quits, hires, and when you hear that monthly, quote-unquote, jobs report number, that's where you see this little nugget of truth. And on average, as long as we've been tracking that, 2.5 million people quit their job every month. Mm. Uh, the, it, we, we hit a nice high at the end of 2014, 2.8 million people were quitting their job every month. And if you look at the recent stats today, even though you know there, there are a few jobs opening back up, the truth is... Still two and a half million people quit their job. The other side of that stat is about a million point six million and a half people are laid off, fired. When you watch the news, you would think that companies are laying people off by the droves. Um, And the truth of the matter is more people quit than are fired or laid off. And so I challenge the notion of, well, who really is the most disloyal? Is it really business America, you know, or do we have a problem in our workplace with our workers um, that there's not this sense of loyalty? And so engagement, I argue in this chapter, is not about how much time you spent in the organization. That is important indeed, but it is not the sole factor. Engagement, I argue, or uh, um, loyalty, I argue, is engagement. Uh, and so it's the attitude you have toward the people around you. It's the attitude you have toward the goals and the objectives of the organization. And those are the things that really stand out as it pertains to your career progression. Because most of the decisions about your career, they're made at a table you never get to sit at. And so uh, when we're at those tables having those conversations, we don't just talk about how well a person does the job. We talk about, well, how do they walk in the job? How do they relate to others? How do they help the overall team and or the project? Uh, and those are things that are crucially important. So in, loyalty is not just about how long you've been at a company. It's about an attitude of engagement.
3: My guest <clears throat> has been Rick Whitted. The book, Outgrow Your Space at Work. Ravel is the publisher. We've got to wrap up right after this, folks. Here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN.
2: More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN.
4: This is Dennis McKenzie
2: for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes, and attorney, Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Folks, thanks so
3: much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Ron Rhodes, our guest in that first half hour, talking about conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. And then Rick Whitted joined us right here in Orlando, by the way. Uh, Outgrow your space at work. That's the... Latest work, latest book that he has put together. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And please check out my most recent book. It's called Extreme Winning The 12 Qualities That the Extreme Winners in Life Possess. I think you'll enjoy it. HCI is the publisher. It's in bookstores and up on Amazon.com as well. A wonderful way to Order books at any time. Well, we'll be back next weekend, folks, for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In the meantime, have a wonderful week ahead. Enjoy church tomorrow with your family. And a reminder, this is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando.
2: Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason, the new 94.9 FM
0: and AM 950, WTLN.